Welcome to the Money Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Torres. This episode is brought to you by Crowdsourced Books. Crowdsourced Books provides you with all the resources you need to become a successful author. You can find out more by visiting crowdsourcedbooks.com. All right, now let's jump into the episode. Another episode of Money Matters Top Tips for Success podcast, um, where I bring on business uh, leaders um, and executives to, you know, share their top tips for success with you um, in their field. Um, today, I have a wonderful guest by the name of Robert Shanazarian, and I got, did I pronounce that right on the first, on the first go round? You sure did, Albert. You sure did. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. And, um, all right, and um, he's going to share some of his top tips for success. So first, I just wanted to welcome you, Robert. So thank you for um, for coming on the show. It's a pleasure. All right, and so let's just jump right in. So, you know, as, as I mentioned to you, um, most of the audience listening to this are entrepreneurs, business owners, executives, um, and you're, you serve as a partner in GMs um, for NOR. And if Correct. you could just, you know, start by giving me a little bit of your background as an entrepreneur. Sure. Well, um, I think that within all of us, uh, we all have a little bit of an entrepreneur in all of us. At, at some point in our lives, we're, we're doing something, whether it's uh, doing a little trade with a friend for this shirt for that shirt or a concert tickets or whatever it is. And um, um, so I, I personally feel like even when I worked in corporate America uh, for Sony, a big company called Sony Music for about 15 years, I still had this entrepreneurial spirit of, trying to create a new position or find ways to make the company more money or save the company money. And um, when it came time to start my own company, um, it, it was it was an easy transition for me in a lot of ways because I was already doing it for myself, even when I was in a, working for a big company. Well, that's a, that's a great theme. And I talk to people about that pretty often. And it's really true. And I, I didn't obviously create this concept, but I hear it over and over. And I find it true is basically, even if you are working in a nine to five or a W2 or however you want to label it, if you're working for somebody else, to really treat whatever your position is as your own business within their business. And that's even if you're not being incented to, but it's more so for the mental training and for the mindset of, hey, if one day you want to go off on your own, and everything is now on you, you know, you already have those battle wounds, so to speak. Um, so, no, I, I love that, that piece of advice. Um, um, talk a little bit more about your your um, music producing career, because it's pretty colorful according to what I'm seeing in the bio. Yeah, well, it, it's funny. when uh, Before I got my first job at Sony, I, was, I, I always had a passion for music. Even when I was a kid, I would – go to the local record store and buy the new Duran Duran album. And I was one of those kids that would, while I was listening to the new record, I would, or cassette or CD or whatever it was, I was flipping it open, looking at the artwork, reading the liner notes, which told you who wrote the songs, who produced it, who engineered it, uh, what studio they recorded at. It just kind of geeky stuff, but for, for I always did it. And in high school, I started a band and we actually did pretty well. And uh, when I, um, graduated high school and went to Pepperdine, that's where I started. I had this little conflict in my life because I loved music, uh, but I was at this crossroads where I the people weren't coming to the shows like I was hoping they would, and my first semester grades were tanking, and it was it's a pretty expensive school, and I kind of was like at this crossroads. I love music, but 
how do I do it without having to be the artist? And around that time uh, in the career center, uh, there was an internship job posting. They were looking for interns at Capitol Records. And I called up and I made an appointment with the HR person there. And I went down and I had a fantastic interview. I had her laughing. We're having a great time. And at the very end, she goes, oh, so what, uh, what year are you at Pepperdine? I said, I'm a freshman. And then I saw this look on her face like I just said something really bad. And she goes, sorry, we only take people when they're uh, juniors just because we need someone that's more mature and so on. And I basically begged her, <laughs> to, like, just give me two weeks. And if, if I don't do a good job here, then I'll put my head down and I'll walk out of the building. And she took a chance on me, and I that was my first step into the music business where I realized I didn't have to be the artist to be in music. Uh, and... Um, from there, I, I got an internship at Capital, uh, Columbia Records, and then at Epic Records, and I got my first job at Sony in uh, 1994. But oddly enough, my, my goal was to be a music producer and to have my own record label. That was my the goal. And uh, But at a record label, they don't really have in-house uh, music, music producers so much, and obviously you can't have your own record label because they are the record label. Uh, so the next best thing to that was being an A&R person which is artist and repertoire. And within a record label, they had the coolest job because they go out to clubs all night and listen to new bands and music uh, and then come in later in the day and crank up demos of these new bands to try to find the next big thing. And um, I eventually got a job within A&R at Columbia Records. And after about three years doing that, I I didn't like it. I was kind of at another little crossroads where I was like, oh, this was my goal to become an A&R guy at a, at a record label. And I, I, I really didn't like going to shows every night because most of the stuff isn't very good. And then all day you're listening to demos. I, I just feel – I didn't feel like I was creating anything. Uh, it was more like reporting on, on what's good out there and what's not good. And around that time, this is about 1997, I, uh, I received a fax from Sony Studios downstairs uh, which is where we used to send bands to record demos or overdubs or different things for um, uh, the records. And I saw a bill for about $3,000 uh, from Sony Studios because I sent a band down there to record some acoustic guitar vocal demos. And around that time, uh, there was a new uh, technology that was coming onto the market called Pro Tools. Have you heard of Pro Tools? Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm following yeah. everything. Yeah, definitely heard about it. Yeah, it was kind of the, the nascent uh, start of that whole thing, and um, um, I kind of put together a little budget and presented to my uh, the two heads of A&R at Columbia Records. I said, look, if, if you invest $10,000 in this uh, Apple G3, uh, 450, mm -hmm. this Pro Tools Digio one, a microphone, and I came, came up with this little wish list. I said, if you put 10000 of this, I could save us about 150000 a year by doing it all in-house. And that was part of the entrepreneurial uh, spirit that wow. I was talking about. Within a corporation, you were doing like, that you at don't Columbia, to... You were doing that at Columbia Records? That's big time. Like, introducing yeah. Pro Tools to Columbia Records. I mean, right. there's people that listen to this, um, you know, all around the world. But for those of you that don't know, Columbia Records is not your mom and pop uh, <laughs> record label. <laughs> Huge act. I'm sorry, continue? <laughs> yeah, so, but, you know, they, everyone was still used to just sending the bands down to the studios and that sort of thing, and it was really the, the change that was starting to happen in the mid to late 90s where a lot of studios 
we're slowly uh, going out of business and getting replaced with uh, Pro Tools. Mm-hmm. And um, so they went for it. They said they, uh, they signed off on that purchase order, and about a month later, all of a sudden, all this equipment came from the guitar center that I ordered. And um, the funny thing was, I didn't know how to use any of it. I never went to school <laughs> for engineering or mixing or – I didn't know. I, I only read about Pro Tools. So what I did is <laughs> when everybody went out at nighttime to go uh, to see the bands at the clubs, I hired a Pro Tools expert literally like two, three times a week to come from I think 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. every night just train me on what's an EQ, what's a compressor, what's a limiter, how do you use a microphone, what's a uh, – all that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, about two months later, they said, you know, is your little studio ready to go? And I said, yeah, sure. And the very first thing I recorded was um, – Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden uh, had to record about 500 radio spots. Like, hi, this is Bruce Dickinson. You're listening to whatever radio station. Mm-hmm. And I had to do about 500 of them with him um, the, the, the next day. And that was the first recording I did. Wow. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> first one. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, um, you know, I don't know. The thing is about radio landers is artists, don't like doing those. So it was a really tough first experience because he, they just recorded a music video the night before in the rain. So he came in cold and sick and tired and you have to do these radio spots, like 500 of them. It's just one of those like grind things that you have to do for promotion. Doing 500 of anything is a lot. I don't care what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah. Let alone having to be upbeat and knowing that this recording is going to reach, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people in different metropolitan areas. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I did that for about two years. I, I basically turned a small, I don't know, maybe 200-square-foot office into, like, a little recording studio and put, like, foam paddings all over the walls and really kind of created a little studio within A&R. And they stopped sending artists down to the studio, to Sony Studios, and about a year and a half later, Sony Studios went out of business uh, within our building. And um, around that time, I think going into the year 2000 now, so I was maybe – engineering for about two years sort of these little demos and sort of thing and sony wanted to launch an online music store called connect and connect was going to be their online portal for downloading movies from sony pictures or uh, games for sony playstation or albums from sony music and so on and uh, connect wanted to have exclusive content that you can only get from connect.com Kind of like the way iTunes and all these other mm-hmm. Spotify have these ex- exclusive recordings that you can only get from their sites. And this was the start of all of that. And the president of Connect walked by my little studio and he said, what are you doing here? <laughs> I said, well, I record, blah, blah, blah. And he introduced me to their A&R guy. And within a month, you know, they, they kind of pitched me that we want, we need someone to produce all these exclusive recordings. And they said, do you want to do it? And I said, sure. And I mean, for the next four or five years, it was just nonstop, two two or three recording sessions a day with everyone from Tears for Fears to John Legend to Snow Patrol to Kelly Clarkson to Taylor Swift. It was just a nonstop, uh, and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was Get out of here. This is amazing. I, <laughs> it's a funny story. <laughs> it's a funny story. Um uh, yeah, they really, you know, I, I just, uh, my, my philosophy, even to this day, if, it, if it's something that really piques my interest and it's an opportunity, I say yes, and then figure it out as I go, hire the right people to help me along, you know, it, it's, 
that's the way to do it, you know. It's an opportunity, and if it's really something that you want, you figure out how to do it. Oh man, these uh this is one of this is gonna be a great story. That's I love I love this episode already and I haven't even listened to the edited version yet, which I'm not sending <laughs> to you by the way, because 'cause I'm guessing you cost more than who does it for me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. I can, I'm just trying to sit here and picture okay, so somebody's walking by and it's like, Hey, what are you doing in this little room? Your little office, you have your pads up there, you have your that's my recording studio. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. This is kind of like, I guess the irony is this is what put you, your other studio out of business is those 500 yeah. spots you used to get money from because he'd sit there all day and that was a 10000 or whatever $1,000 day for you. Yeah, we yeah. just do it in my little office. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, you know, you, you stop and think about it. I was having uh, lunch with a uh, business associate today and, you know, there's these uh, moments that happen in um, in time where, you know, we're talking about Uber and how, the yellow taxi companies should have been Uber. Like they had the market and cornered for that sort of thing. And for whatever reason, they didn't see turning it into an app and simplifying or or whatever. And then Uber came along and disrupted. And the same thing with Pro Tools came along and was disrupting it. So these things come along and some people are able to see it, jump on it, and then others don't and they're gone. It happens really quick. That's a great, great, um, great, great, um, um, point to draw out and it's sometimes you see it sometimes you have that tunnel vision and you're not looking at what's happening around you i mean the medallion medallion cab company or whatever that used to sell the the right to you know to run a taxi i mean that stock tanked dramatically after uber came out and you know you just see that hey this is the wave of the future um same right. thing with auto- autonomous vehicles going forward it's like Lyft right. and all of these other things these are just platforms to launch the autonomous vehicle and then if you look at and if you think about um how abroad like in a place like Singapore or other places where they're already testing and you know have a lot of them on the road versus here it's like it's just a matter of time and for people that are trying to fight that it's just like it, it's it's going to happen at some point so you position yourself to either take advantage of it or you know you go the way of um of uh you know kind of getting outdated um right. and and Perfect. Well, let, let's uh, appreciate all that backstory, man. That's, I love it. I love the story. Um, so let's, let's switch gears a little bit, and let's talk about a little bit more about your, your current business. So tell me more about NOR and NOR events and what you do. So uh, around the time, it was around 2008, I was at, again, another – it seems like, it seems like at least in my life, I, I think, though, everybody experiences uh, – I come to these crossroads every six or eight years, and I was coming to that point in my – career at Sony, uh, where from 1998 to 2008, the music business in general was suffering and dying because uh, Napster emerged, and then uh, all these decentralized uh, torrent sites came up. Mm -hmm. So the music business was experiencing a major downturn, and uh, by then... And then the crash, 2008 would be the crash also, so you have that going on, the overall economic crashes happening that year. Okay, go ahead. Right. So um, I, I I was at this point where I, I said, okay, I love music. I'm in the music business. I love it, but I also have to be responsible. I have a wife and, and two kids and a mortgage and so on. And um, my wife, um, five years previously, she planned her brother's wedding. And we're Armenian, uh, but anybody, uh, weddings are a cultural event. So uh, in LA especially, there's your choices are basically hotel, 
country club or some type of a banquet hall that's either connected to a church, temple, or an independent event space. And they all have their own unique things that they do well, but none of them were doing what my wife was talking about, which was an independent event space that really caters to cultures, that, but has a really nice decor, a great uh, upscale location, a really good service. And you'd either go to the cultural banquet halls and get the, the food right would be good, but then the, the service wouldn't be great or the decor was kind of tacky with lines and pillars and gold or the locations weren't great. Or you'd go to the hotels and country clubs and get the great service and the great decor, but the food isn't good. And she said, you know, we need to do, she had this idea to do an event space. And it was just the perfect timing of me saying, okay, I need to switch gears and get out of the music business uh, because it's still dying. I waited 10 years for it to turn around. And her brother is a, a contractor builder and, um, and she has great ideas. So, I said, okay, um, I'll go back to Pepperdine and uh, get do the executive MBA program, and I'll do all my marketing and strategy and macroeconomics and everything on this idea called NOR. And she hired an interior designer to do all the interior design, and her brother built the place. And in November 2010, um, we opened up NOR. And again, it was one of those things where none of us had any experience um, with food service, banquets, event management, catering, zero. But it was a good idea. We knew that uh, the fundamental idea is that people are always going to get married. They might not, you know, during a downturn, they might not go for the gray goose and the, the ribeye, uh, but they're going to do chicken and beer or whatever, and, but they're still going to do it. So if you can keep your costs in check and your overhead uh, in check, then you have a business model. And, uh, we're going on our eighth year now. And I took that same creativity and uh, ideas and so on from Sony of uh, my business career of putting a team together uh, when you don't know something. And uh, like any new operation, there's a lot of churn and burn to not only find the right talent, but the right talent that can work together as a team. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I mean, you're, you're dropping lots of pearls of wisdom here today. Um, no, all great stuff. So that's a, that's a, I mean, the transition. You go from uh, music producing to – oh, wait, you go from band, right, to music producing to now um, this amazing space, I'm, which I'm looking at your, your website, um, norevents.com. Um, and is that the best place for um, for someone to reach you? Yes. All right. So, again, remember, uh, norevents.com, uh, um, beautiful space. I'm just checking it out now. And uh, you're in Pasadena, right? Is that, uh... Yeah, we're in Old Town, Pasadena. It's, it's right along the uh, Rose Parade route on New Year's Day. We, we uh, have a bunch of people come on the balcony and watch the Rose Parade. It's, you have City Hall as a backdrop. It's, it's oh, a really man. beautiful location. Well, I'm I'm gonna reach out to you for that invite next year for the parade. There you go. Um, <laughs> well, hey Robert, I really appreciate your time today. I appreciate you sharing your words of wisdom. I appreciate you sharing your story with us, um, and um, I appreciate all your time. So, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. All right, take care. Bye. You too. Bye bye.